0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to NCClet.org. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the last message out of the book of uh, First Peter, and we've been in this for uh, months now, and uh, hopefully you found it to be beneficial. But it's the last talk, and I'm a little bittersweet. I'm going to miss this letter, and I hope uh, that it has brought some enlightenment for you over the course of this study. When we write letters, like Peter wrote this one, or emails, or sometimes even text messages, we will add a PS at the end. This is always something... That is important. When we add it in a PS, it's always something important. Sometimes it's the most important thing in the entire message. In fact, you have saved it for the PS with the hopes that as it's the last thing they read, maybe it's the one thing that stays on their mind the longest. Well, Peter, he closes this letter with some thoughts that are vitally important to overcoming the persecution that his readers would soon face. And Peter knew that a fiery trial was about to occur, and he wanted the church to be prepared. The last words that Peter gave the church in this letter were so important to follow if they were going to glorify God through this very difficult experience. And last week we looked at part one of this talk, and I thought it would be beneficial for us to just review real quickly what we talked about last week. The first of the last words was simply, Be humble. Be humble. All of us, young and old, are characterized by humility when we're walking the way God calls us to. Humility toward one another. You see, God despises pride, so we need to be humble in our character, in our nature. The second of the last words that we looked at last week was simply, be aware. And the reason for that is we have an enemy who is out to take us down spiritually, so we need, we need to be aware. We need to be on our toes and not give in to his attacks when they come. And so today I want us to look at the last of the last words. It's a little redundant, but I think you'll understand what I mean. The last of the last words is simply this. Never give up. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. Peter closes on a positive note, and he reminded his readers that God knows what he's doing, and he's in complete control. So there's never, ever a reason to ever give up hope. Now, why is hope so important? I don't know if you know this, but it's mentioned 180 times in the Bible, so it must be important. But the question really is why? Why? Erwin McManus, in his book, Soul Cravings, states, Hope is essential for our souls to thrive. Later, he continues in that book, If you don't believe you have a future worth living for, your spirit loses all hope, and your soul is not designed to live without hope. In fact, when we lose all hope, he says, we lose all desire to live. I think you would agree with me. That's a pretty tough place to be if you're in that spot. Hope plays a vitally important role in every single life. And nobody knew this more succinctly and more truly than Viktor Frankl. History tells us about this young and upcoming psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. But before his career gains any kind of momentum, World War II breaks out. The Nazis invade his country, and he is arrested and thrown into a concentration camp for four long years. After the war was over, Frankel was released from the camp, and he resumed his career. And he reflected on his experiences and his time as a prisoner. And one thing he noticed that was something that was rather strange, the people who survived in the concentration camp were not always the ones that you would expect. In fact, many who were physically strong wasted away and died, while others who were much weaker, physically speaking, they grew stronger and survived. And Frankl wondered why that was the case. What was it that enabled them to hang in there through this living hell that they went through? Frankel found the difference between those who survive and those who perish was simply hope, just hope. Hope. Those who survived never gave up their belief that their lives had meaning. Despite everything they were going through and everything that was happening around them, it would one day end. And then they would live this meaningful, purposeful life. What is this basic human drive? It was hope. Hope. And as Christians, we were given hope when Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave. No longer are our lives destined for hopelessness. We have the ultimate assurance that things will get better. Our lives were redeemed from hopelessness, not just in heaven someday, but here on earth as well. We have hope today, and our hope, it is in God. And we can hope in a God that can do impossible things in our lives. In fact, we hope in a God who specializes in doing the impossible. So no matter how difficult the fiery trial might be, a Christian always has hope, always. And in this one verse that we're going to look at this morning, 1 Peter 5:10, Peter reminds his readers of reasons That we can have hope. The first of these reasons is we have God's grace. We have God's grace. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.10. He says this. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while will himself restore you. And make you strong, firm and steadfast. Our salvation is because of the grace of God. God loves us. If you don't know that, you need to know that today. God loves you. You may not even be a Christian today, but you need to know that at your very worst, God loves you the same as he loves me or anyone else at our very best. God loves you. And as a result, Jesus went to the cross as a sacrifice to wash away our sins. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus... He gives us the grace that we need. And he has grace to help us in every situation. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16. He said, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Regardless of what you're facing, if you have God's grace, then you have hope. There is hope. Well, there's another reason that Peter points out that we have reason to hope, and that is that we know we're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven. Can anybody say amen to that? I I could go today. Now, I'm not saying I'm checking out or anything, all right? But I could go today. We have the promise. We know we're going to heaven. Look what what Peter writes in, in our text again. He says this, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory, that's heaven, his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is the awesome inheritance that we have received when we were born again. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Our inheritance is in heaven with God. And heaven is a place that they tell us that the streets are paved with gold. But far more amazing than that, God is there. And we're told it's a place where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. And for a group of churches that were on the threshold of an intense persecution, the the news about heaven would have been a great source of hope. Well, Peter gives us another another reason. Our sufferings last only for a while, he says. Our sufferings only last for a while. Look what he says. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered a little while will will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You're going to have this verse memorized before we're done here. The Greek word that Peter uses here for to restore us, is translated to restore us, means to refit or repair or to mend. It's the same word that was used when Jesus called James and John to be his disciples. And he finds them mending their nets. They were restoring or repairing their nets. It's the same word. And this is a picture that Peter is painting here of repairing the person who was wounded or damaged during the persecution. And what God is doing is he's restoring them. He's equipping them to continue the work that he called them to do. Paul said the same thing when he wrote 2 Corinthians 4:17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And what Paul is basically saying here is, I'm not sure what you're going through, but whatever it is, hang in there because heaven is worth it. Heaven is worth it. It's only going to last a short time. And what's at the end? Just past the finish line? It's worth it. In sports, there's nothing like crossing the finish line at the end of a race or a competition. I don't know. Whatever the race is, it's always exhilarating, whether it's a a 5K or a marathon or even greater. And I I think probably one of the best finish lines in all of sports is at the end of the Ironman triathlon that they have in Hawaii. You can see the exhilaration. Ironman competitors say they swim 2.4 miles, they bike 112 miles, then they run a marathon, 26.2 miles, and then they brag the rest of their life about doing all of that. And it's true, they do, but they kind of have a reason to. You see, a race like that is obviously incredibly challenging physically. The distances are extreme, and the elements like wind and heat and other things create their own set of challenges. And some racers end up dealing with a myriad of physical issues during the race. For some, the challenges of the Ironman are just too much, and they end up dropping out. That's what makes the Ironman finish line so amazing. You see, everyone who crosses it had to overcome numerous challenges in order to get there. And no matter how hard the Iron Man is to complete, most everyone who finishes will tell you it's definitely worth it. Peter makes a similar comparison. That what we experience in this life is only for a little while. When you compare it to eternity, no matter what it is, it's worth it. Even if we face a lifetime of suffering, if you put it in that context, it would still only be a little while when you compare it to eternity. The greatest finish line of all is when we cross the threshold to enter into heaven. Crossing that finish line is definitely worth it, no matter what you have to go through. So don't lose hope. Remember, it only lasts for a little while, whatever the struggle. The fourth reason that, that Peter gives us to have hope is our trials will develop Christ-like character qualities in us. First Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The Greek word that he uses here, translated restore, means to refit. This is where I jumped my notes just a little bit ago. It's the same word that he used when he talked about Peter and John or James and John mending their nets. It's the same word. It's the picture of God restoring or repairing a life. You know God uses suffering to equip us. He uses several tools that he he has in his arsenal to equip his people for the Christian life and service in his kingdom. And suffering, surprisingly, is one of those things. The Word of God is another tool that he uses to equip us. Paul says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is basically saying that the purpose and the result of the proper use of the Bible is so that that believer will be thoroughly equipped for the work that God has called them to do. I want to encourage every one of you who's listening to my voice right now, whether you're in this room or you're listening to this on Vimeo or YouTube or local access, I don't It doesn't matter to me if you're a believer who's the most righteous among us or you're the the worst of sinners and anyone in between. I want to encourage you to read the Bible, to study it. Do some of that every single day so that God will equip you for every good work one of the easiest ways to do this, and you've heard me say this now on numerous occasions, is downloading the YouVersion Bible app. The reason I'm so high on this Version is because it makes the Bible so accessible. I mean, if you have your phone with you, and most of us can't hardly breathe without ours, and it has a little bit of charge, you can access the Bible. It's with us all the time. And there are numerous translations and numerous Bible reading plans. And if the Bible prepares us to be thoroughly equipped to meet all the demands we will face, then we should read it every single day. We need it. We need it. Well, not only is suffering and the Word of God, the Bible, equip us, but the church itself actually equips us for good works, Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 11. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until you all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The example Jesus set is the standard we model our lives after. And the church is where we come to know Jesus and we learn his teachings. It's where we attain this whole measure of the fullness of Christ that Paul is talking about. That is just the balanced character of Jesus, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you want to know Jesus, Paul points out, How important it is to be connected to the body of Jesus, which is the church. This is the environment where we grow and we mature in our faith. Sufferings that we go through, the Bible and the church, are all tools that God uses to shape us for a life that reflects Jesus. And as the church that was reading this letter that, Paul, that Peter wrote for the first time, they would soon be facing persecution. Peter wants these believers to maintain their focus and not lose hope. This is also the message for the church today. Well, Peter finishes with three words that focus on this godly character that Jesus wants to restore in us, and God wants to develop in us. He says, and the God of all grace. Why don't you say that with me, okay? You've got to memorize now, right? And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter's saying no matter what you go through, what the trial is, God will restore you. God will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The word strong here means to fix firmly or to set fast. Our hearts need to be strong, and this is accomplished by God's truth. The believer who is strong in their faith will not quit because of persecution or they will not be led away by false teachings. He or she is strong in their faith. No matter what your trial is, God's going to restore you, and he will make you firm. Some translations use the word strengthen here. Firm means God gives strength to us to meet the demands we face in life. What good is it to stand on a firm foundation like the teachings of Jesus if we do not have the power to act? We're just like totem poles. And then God will make you steadfast. Whatever the trial you come through is, he'll make you steadfast. Steadfast is the translation of the word that means to lay a foundation. And Jesus talked extensively about this in a parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew, the 7th chapter, Starting with verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's talking about the sermon he just preached, and puts them into practice, if you do that, you're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, And does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The moral of this parable is the house built on the rock or the teachings of Jesus will withstand the storm, and the house built anywhere else won't. Jesus was finishing the Sermon on the Mount. He's tying it all together with a summary statement that if we build on the teachings of Jesus, we're building on a strong, firm foundation, equipped to withstand the storms of life, all the persecutions, and all the attacks of the enemy. You know, the world doesn't have that promise. They don't have the promise that they're going to stand up against the storms when they come. In fact, when an unbeliever goes through suffering, often he or she loses their hope. But for a believer, suffering only increases his or her hope. Paul put it this way in Romans 5, 3, and 4. He said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. God builds character and he brightens hope when I trust him and depend on his grace. So, my friends, never give up hope. No matter what it is you're going through today. Don't ever give up hope. Well, Peter buttons up this entire letter short of a few salutations at the end with a doxology He says in verse 11, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, doxology is just an expression of praise. And this doxology is in response to verse 10 that we've just been studying. The hope that we have because of God's grace and the eternal glory that he has prepared for us, his people. And that, my friends, is something definitely worth praising. God's worthy of our praise. For all that he has done for us. Let me close with this thought. Soccer, they tell me, is the most loved sport in all the world. I know that's somewhat questionable in America. But around the world, soccer is probably the most important and most popular of all sports. Having said that, one thing about soccer that is frustrating to me is not knowing when the game will actually end. Have you noticed that about soccer? The clock will show that the game is over, and yet they continue to play. Did you know that? Here's why they do that. During the match, there will be periods of time when play is stopped, but the clock continues to run. And there's an official who keeps track of all of that time that they're not playing, yet the clock is running. They call it stoppage time. And that official will be the one who adds all of that extra time, that stoppage time, to the end of the game. Now, you know the match is almost over because there's no time left on the clock, but only the official timekeeper knows the exact time when the game will finish. So the players continue to play, even though the clock says zero. You know, like soccer, I'm reminded that no one knows when Jesus is going to return Except the official timekeeper The Father, God James said in James 5.8 You too be patient and stand firm Because the Lord's coming is near His return is near Oh there may be a little bit of time left on the clock Or we may be playing in stoppage time I don't know But like James, Peter didn't want anybody to quit the race before it was over. He didn't want them to quit because of persecution or for any other reason for that matter. Peter's given us this precious letter that encourages us to hope in the Lord, no matter what we're going through, no matter the trying times that we may be immersed in right now. You know, down through the centuries, the church has experienced various fiery trials. And yet Satan has had no success in being able to destroy God's church. And the church today is facing her struggles. And we must be prepared. But whatever happens, Peter's message reverberates down through the centuries. And it's the same today. Never lose hope. Because the glory is soon to come. I know that life is difficult. I know at times it seems unbearable. There's criticism, there's rejection, there's loneliness. The list goes on and on. Some of you find yourselves facing great struggles, and they hit us hard. But don't quit. Never give up, because Jesus is returning soon. So the last of the last words, never give up hope. No matter what it is you're going through. Hold on to Jesus and never give up hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you for your goodness to us today. God, I thank you for the reminder, the reasons that we have to hold on to hope. Certainly the greatest of those reasons is the grace that you've shown us. Jesus going to the cross and taking our sins on there and washing us clean when we surrender our lives to you. God, and the reminder that heaven is our future, that for a little while here on this earth, whatever we go through, it's only a short time compared to eternity in heaven with you. God, thanks for that reminder. And God, for the equipping that you're doing in us during the difficult times, that we might be more like Jesus, that our light might shine brighter in a world where so many people desperately need to see Jesus. Lord, it seems like a worthy, uh, a worthy excuse to go through struggles and trials and even persecutions so that we might grow to be more like your son, Jesus. But time is running out, God. Thank you for the reminder today that no matter what the struggle is, don't quit. Never, ever give up hope. God, I know everybody needs Jesus. In this room, outside of this room, people are listening to this maybe even weeks or months later. We all need Jesus. And he's the only one who can forgive us for the sins that we've committed. But we have to put our trust in him. Lord, don't let them put it off. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will chase them down today. If there's someone here who has yet to put their hand in the hand of the the Savior, I pray, God, that you will pursue them. I don't want them to miss out when Jesus returns, because then it will be too late. God, thank you for the promise that you're coming back. And for the reminder that Jesus' return is nearer than it's ever been. We praise you for that, God. We love you in Jesus' name.